Welcome to the Geek Sweat Podcast. We, we watch, watch films to save you hassle. It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist just for you. I am TJ and we will be bringing you hot topics in the film industry, inspiration interviews with IMDb listed filmmakers, review sweat on online series as a stream, trailer talk on upcoming feature films and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. Sharing the frame with me today are Cody. Hi. King Dom. Hello. And Neo Geo. Hello. And myself. Between your ears and our voices, we take this opportunity to make the most of our podcast technology from CastBox, a new app that's available via Android for your podcast and entertainment needs. It's the one-stop shop for taking your podcast on the go. We are now recording live and direct from Ithaca House. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, so much excitement in the crowd about that. Um, and now we are going to start with another hot topic. And today's session is going to be about black distribution, the distribution of black films. May I correct myself? So uh, to talk and help us through this kind of minefield of a subject, we've invited a previous guest on. Uh, welcome back, Anthony Andrew. Hey, how you doing? So, Anthony, again, you're from a company called We Are Parable. So just to remind the audience, tell us a little bit about what We Are Parable are about. Yeah, sure. So We Are Parable is an events company specializing in film exhibition running since 2013, where we take films, especially films that um, relate to a black audience, and we create experiences around those films. Thank you very much. Now... Uh, you've previously been on the show to kind of give us your thoughts and insights about um, the Oscars 2019. And we've also heard from you about what it's like meeting with Spike Lee and collaborating with him. And now we want to kind of get into more of like the business side, I suppose it is, of what happens with uh, black films in the distribution process. Yeah. So... Do you feel that you can talk to us about any particular film projects that have probably come your way or gone through a distribution channel of a, a company that you know? Yeah, I mean, I'll talk very candidly about the experience that we had with Studio Canal. Um, Studio Canal, Studio that's Canal. the French organisation. Yeah, French um, organisation with a pretty big UK arm over here. So we worked with them in 2018 um, for Idris Elba's film, Yardi. Okay. Um, Which came out in 2018. Came out in 2018. And um, possibly the best experience that myself and my wife, who runs um, uh, We Are Parable with me, Tian Andrews, probably possibly the best uh, experience that we've had with a distributor. Um, and that really came from starting early, really understanding what Studio Canal wanted to achieve with the film, how they were going to position it to an audience and bringing us in that early stage to not only see the film, but understand exactly how we might position it to our audience, knowing our audience. Because this is a directorial debut For sure. from a very well-known actor, yeah. but it's still a directorial debut. Aren't they, those type of films considered to be like high risk in the market? Not necessarily. I think because Idris has got such a... Um, sort of wide canon of things that he does. I mean, he DJs, he acts, he produces, he writes, he, you know, and now direct, directing is another string to his bow. So I don't think they saw it as a high risk. I think they just they were very cognizant of getting it right. 
Um, so they engaged with ourselves, a number of other organizations to really understand how they could get it right as much as possible. And we enjoyed such a um, sort of rich and sort of varied uh, relationship with Studio Canal. You know, we were asked to advise on how the poster might look, mm. on how the trailer how the trailer was cut. You know, we thought there was potentially too much spoilers in the trailer. So actually, how could we take that out? So what does it mean to get invited to mm. a viewing or a screening? Because, I mean, I'm aware of these DVDs called screeners, yeah. but are you kind of brought over into a room yeah, yeah. And of 200 people signing surveys or are they looking yeah. for a specific opinion? No, so it, sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty sometimes it's pretty relaxed, other times it's pretty clandestine. So I think, you know, a couple of distributors who I won't name, other than Studio Canal, who are great, but I won't name some other distributors who... I've had different challenges with. Sure. When you go to screens with them, it's like, you know, put your phone over here, yeah. you know, sign your life away on this non-disclosure yeah. agreement. Okay. Very, yeah. very protective of, of, of their content, as they should be. But, mm. you know, it does feel like very like, oh, I'm going to go and see something that, mm. you know, it does feel a little bit forbidden that you're watching these films like a, six months before they come out. But you know. So do you feel that there's an element with some groups that they're just trying to get people from a certain demographic to tick boxes to say that they've shown it to a diverse group or do you feel there's mm. pressure on you to kind of come up with certain answers because they've marked they're preparing to market in a particular way so i think how it works is that you know they know of a number of exhibitors who operate in london and mm. they'll invite them in for a screening and then the idea is that you know, if it's a very sort of collaborative relationship, the, the, the how it should work is that distributors will sit down with you if you're interested in, in exhibiting the film and, and understand from you mm. what you'd want to do with the film. How would you want to market it to your audience? Um, is it a Q&A? Is it more experiential? Mm. Do you want to potentially, if it's the kind of film that allows it more like a DJ and party vibe afterwards? Yeah understanding exactly what you want to do with the film and then seeing if that aligns with how the distributors are imagining you to position the film sure. and if those two merge then there's a good chance that you work together yeah yeah that's how that's how it should work in, in practice how it works in practice is, is sometimes like markedly different from that i mean because we we are parable have been around for since 2013 yeah did you have any experience of the or access to the release of the film tangerine when that came out um, so I think I was a little bit before, well, it was it was during the time of us starting, but I think um, just to double back for a bit, um, yeah. when we started in 2013, it really was around um, celebrating older films. Okay. So it's only, um, I'd say probably 2014, 2015, where we started to look at yeah. newer releases okay. and how we, and then we, how we started to get involved with distributors. But how do you, how do you feel about the way Tangerine came onto the market? Because Tangerine was, um, I wouldn't say, I would say, let's say it's an LGBTQ plus, I think yep. it is now, um, film mm. category or mm. film target group or film story. Yeah. But I think the thing that kind of overshadowed that was the fact that it was shot on an iPhone. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, I think they weren't just consumed by the story and it was low budget, it was told on the street, but I think a lot of actual filmmakers and mm. the tech heads were like, what made it possible to shoot this with a smartphone mm. when I think there was like a, probably a certain type of lens rig to kind of get it geared up to make that film. Mm. And do you feel that was like a surprise shock movie to get on the market? Cause that is loosely a black film, isn't it? Mm. 
Um, I think it definitely adds another element. I think it's um, it was probably one of the first. I don't want to say mainstream, but I guess certainly one of the first films I heard about getting shot on an iPhone that was yeah. going to get a, a decent amount of distribution. So I think mm. it's definitely a, an added marketing tool that you can use on, yeah. you know, on posters or you know, when people are reviewing it, you can talk about the fact that it was filmed on an iPhone for sure. So that's definitely a, you know, a, you know, another string to your bow for sure. Because the thing I want, I'm trying to connect with this is there's another mm. film that came out last year called Sorry to Bother You, yes, no which wrong. was by Boots Riley, yeah. uh, which has got a, like a fantastic actor in it called Lakeith Stanfield, who I kind of fell in love with through watching the TV series Atlanta, yes. and another great actor who's in it called Terry Crews, who's a great comedy legend, I mm. think, in like a lot of uh, feature films. But Sorry to Bother You was a directorial debut for Boots Riley as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to kind of get into like what that distribution of that film was like, but mm. do you feel that there is to be a black film and to be noticed, it's about mm. also coming along with the added baggage. If it's a first this, it's like a directorial debut. It's the first film shot here. It's a first film shot on this type of camera, etc. Mm. Yeah, again, I think there is a... Yeah, I think you're probably onto something there. There, there is something about it being the first, you know, because mm. I think, as I mentioned on the uh, previous podcast, it's, it's about you know just just getting tired of hearing that it's the first black person to do this, mm. it's the first yeah. black person to do that. It, you know, I think it does sell to a mainstream audience, mm. but then you know to a black audience, that's you know, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I certainly mm. speak to myself and some of my peers that mm. we're just a little bit tired yeah. of hearing that is you know it needs to become the status quo where you know black people are just in these spaces and then we're creating films without it being the yeah. first you know so yeah because I, I get the feeling that there's this element of to release a a, a black film as it was mm. called whether it was like because it's a black director it's about black culture yeah. or it's about a black community sure it you're not just breaking boundaries by making a film but you have to break the boundary in another way or break some kind of glass ceiling mm just to get noticed and make it noteworthy, as it were. I, I would actually counter that. So I think sometimes it's actually not about breaking, um, you know, break, breaking the glass scene at all. Sometimes mm. I think it's playing into the narrative of what a black film should be. Okay. So, you know, you think about certain films that are, you know, you know, have certain levels of violence or, you know, I mentioned um, very briefly in the last podcast about black pain. You know, that seems to be mm. a, you know, a, a regular you know, narrative that's, that's portrayed in mainstream media. Yeah. And I think if a film can, can cover something like that, then mm. there's a good chance that actually it does, it does break through the mainstream and starts to get that wider distribution. So do you feel that, um, I mean, let's talk about the, the sorry to bother you experience. Yeah. Um, have you had experience through We Are Parable mm. at the distribution of that particular film? Yeah, so we were really interested about screening this film. We thought it played directly into our audience's taste levels and it was just something that we thought when we saw it, it was so subversive and we just thought, mm. yeah, we had to do something with this film. Mm. Um, we spoke to distributors, um, you know, anyone can join the dots and work out who the distributors were. Yeah. But, you know, they were very clear that they had a very specific position for this film. And I think, you know, when we said, you know, we wanted to do something around, you know, sort of fan, you know, fantasy Afrofuturism that, you know, that a film's really celebrating and, and championing. championing. Mm -hmm. And the distributor was like, you know, we, you know, this is a sophisticated film. We want it to be for cinephiles. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it was almost like, you know, a little bit sort of, you know, devaluing the work that we did, yeah. even though we knew that our audience would want to see this film sort of celebrated because it is such a, uh, you know, such, such a 
you know, a, a, a crazy concept. I mean, if you follow the film to the final third, you can't believe you're watching the same film you did when you started. Sure. And it's just, you know, for a for, for a black filmmaker to have that freedom to create something like that is is, is pretty groundbreaking. And we mm. wanted to celebrate that with an experience of some kind. But, mm. you know, the distributor was very much like, you know, this film has to appeal to a very sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a sort of upper to middle class audience Okay. that would expect their films to be delivered in this way without a real regard of the sort of core audience who we believe would, would jump to see this film. So unfortunately, we weren't able to do anything with the film at, at, at that time because they were trying to position the film in a more, quote unquote, sophisticated way. Okay, because I don't have to deal with these distributors, yeah. I'm going to try to uh, say something slightly left field because um, there's a lady online called Alice Oxendine mm. and um, it's an article um, from The Wrap about yep. indie distributors, so why, mm. how a lack of diversity <clears throat> impacts what films get released. Yeah. And she's talking about a career where she was the only black person working at Fandor, mm. in marketing, the only black woman working at Distributor, uh, which is a digital distribution network and the only black uh, person working at Good Deed Entertainment, yep. which had to do with digital sales. Mm. So is there an, this narrative that seems to be coming across about the way the position, the yep. position of the film, or yep. there's a certain group of people who wants to receive this or who we believe should be receiving this type of film. Mm. Is that a narrative that exists because there's a vacuum of there's only so many voices that are allowed to talk about how a film's going to get marketed or how mm. a film's going to get distributed at the let's say the senior management level of these distribution companies before yeah, they I go mean, outside their walls yeah i think there needs so i think there just needs to be more black people not just in the building but making decisions Mm. on what films get what films get distributed but then also how these films are positioned mm. because i think there's not enough decision making at that level to you know to talk about okay well we're going to market this film in this way and mm. actually when it comes out and we have a q and a with a director it's mm. you know and it's maybe a black female is uh, who's directing this film mm. we don't have a white male interviewing her we yeah. have a black woman interviewing her yeah. we show the sort of sensibilities in that in that dynamic as opposed to the dynamic we've always seen the dynamic yeah. that we're used to yeah. so i think you know those decisions need to be made could you be clear on what the dynamic is that we we used to well, for the well, audience no i think you know for, for for example i was at a um a q a of um if bill street could talk with barry jenkins okay um and we had robbie collin in, in interview him from the telegraph mm. um i was at a um a recent screening of the boy who harnessed the wind with chiwetel ajofor um, the film that's coming out on Netflix. His that's also his directorial his di debut. Directorial yeah. debut, and um, again, um, a white male journalist was interviewing him about you know a film about Africa when he had created this story. Yeah. Um, I, um, Boots Riley, when we um, saw Sorry to Bother You, again, a white a white male journalist, and I feel like there's that level of questioning and and uh, the lack of diversity does really start to play on your mind because you think, okay, actually, there's questions that we could be asking. That are not getting to the that surface. Not, they are not get yeah exactly not getting to the root of why this person made that film and it you know you you would have to say that there is something around the ethnicity of the mm. of the person who's asking the questions where you're not getting that true content. Actually, can I open this up to King Dom here as well as somebody of another ethnicity and perhaps you as well, Cody? Um, 
Do you feel that um, <coughs> there might be certain directors who are not being given, let's say, a run for their money, as uh, Anthony's addressing? What directors when, from certain ethnicities? Are yeah, being... when they're not when they're being interviewed by, let's say, the wrong type of journalist or somebody who hasn't got like a deeper understanding of a cultural background. That's a good question. Um... Because when you um, when you see a film being distributed. Um, like I think when uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman came out last yeah. year, I think he was interviewed almost on top of, um, I can't remember what Donald Trump did last year. There was like mm. some major thing that happened. I'm not sure if it was when he won the election. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of stuff. Donald <laughs> Trump's done so many different things. But I think it was part of the whole make America great again. And I think, yeah. no, nah, I think I know what it was. I think there was some kind of violence in a particular town. I can't remember which place it was. And he didn't condemn the people for the violence in that town. Uh, and there was some like racial violence and he just kind of carried on with some kind of campaign. Mm. And then Spike Lee came out to promote Black Klansmen. Mm. And then he was trying to explain how what was happening la in like the 70s, as it were, is being repeated today. Mm. And like Black Klansmen is the great window to look at. It. But do you feel that like the Jordan Peels or the Spike Lees they're getting interrogated in the right way by journalists about the context of their films. Um, well, I guess um, Spike Lee is the classic example because going back to the 90s, he always had to, you know, justify or fill people in every time he did an interview. And, I mean, obviously, I can't claim that I'm the most entitled to talk about this for very obvious reasons but mm. i always felt even then back in the 90s i always felt like spike lee had to explain things that mm. maybe white filmmakers wouldn't have to explain every time or mm. you know martin scorsese wouldn't have to talk about being an italian american every time he made a film yeah i remember uh, clockers was one in particular which came out in 1995 and i remember him doing some interviews on british tv at the time which seemed to me to be dire and embarrassing yeah. Yeah. even for me as a teenager mm -hmm. i mean have you noticed anything like this cody yourself not really not really <laughs> i don't know i don't watch a lot of interviews with directors so yeah. i haven't picked up on it now i don't i haven't really noticed them mm. sorry that's cool <laughs> no but this this is an interesting conversation mm. because it's like i do feel that you are right in like many respects that there's um, a lot of ideas that are probably flying over people's heads, yep. which could be alluded to or just expanded upon mm. in these interviews. And maybe there are some journalists that are not tackling them, these themes directly, yep. you know? Well, just got to, we've got to think about who the audience is, right? So, you know, sorry, there aren't any journalists tackling the directors about these themes directly. Yeah, yeah no, sure. No, I think it's, it all goes back to how they want the film to be marketed. So I felt what I found what was quite interesting when Spike Lee was over for the BAFTAs um, the other day was that he was on the Andrew Marr show, which I thought was, um, yeah, yeah I, I thought that was quite, I thought that was an interesting um, choice of me, uh, choice a of program for Andrew him to Marr's be on. Andrew a political correspondent for the BBC. That's right, yeah. So that, that was an interesting point of view. So obviously- interviewed by Evan Davis as well on Newsnight. Evan Davis is more of the business no, consultant no, guy, isn't he? On Newsnight, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I thought Evan Davis is like the bald guy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's the presenter of Newsnight. Yeah, but he also does... Uh, he no, does Dragon's Den as well. Yeah, Dragon's Den. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say. He's yeah. got a couple of fixed yeah. on Evan Davis. Yeah. 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 But, um, so, do you, so what would be the best way to remedy this then, would you think? I think it's allowing distributors... Sorry, it's allowing exhibitors to really 
let, like tell tell you know work with ex- exhibitors work with us um you know we are your audience we work with your audience mm. with the people that you want to reach we know how to reach them because we've done it we've done mm. it in the past i think it is about having more decision makers yeah at, um you know who who are people of color mm. i think when it comes to these films i think it's about giving um people the opportunity and maybe not well-known people but people the opportunity to interview people like spike lee like jordan peele like barry jenkins to really get underneath the, the skin of what why their films exist the way they do but i really do think it is about distributors understanding how um their films can be positioned and how they can use exhibitors in a really innovative way to engage with new audiences and i think if they don't do that then you know, you've got the rise of Netflix. Netflix is, is a real thing, especially amongst young audiences who choose to consume their films. You know, cinemas have to mm. work harder and as a result, distributors have to work harder. Yeah. And one way that they can really um, sort of, you know, bridge that gap is by experience. Young people love to share things on social media. Yeah. Experiential events such as we do give people an opportunity to share where they are, what they're doing with their mates to create that FOMO moment. Mm. That's what we're that's what we're in the business of. So yeah. distributors who can work with us and understand that, yeah. then I think that's that's where the future of the industry is going. I mean Netflix is a machine at the moment. Absolutely. But um what I wanted to uh probably expand upon is uh when it what what do you think is the biggest obstacle facing uh black distribution films in the UK? Probably money, I'd say. Money. I'd say in order for a film to get really good distribution, um, yeah, you, you need money. It needs to do well in the States as well. So I think a film that kind of came and went was uh, uh, Monsters and Men. Yeah. Um, so that was, um, I think it was executive produced. Who was in Monsters and Men? So John David Washington, who was in uh, Black Klansman, was in that. Okay. Um, and you had... Oh gosh, the guy's name Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos from um, she's got to have it, and he was in Hamilton as well. Okay. Uh, he's he's in that, um, and the film was executive produced by Drake, the rapper. So yeah. it obviously had a bit of bit of kudos, bit of um, hype around it. Um, but it, it sunk like a stone in the, in in yeah. the states, and as a result, if that happens in the states before UK release, then all of the marketing budget, all of the ideas get swept away. But then, even though that happens, there's still some ring fence money to yeah. do some pretty cool things with exhibitors so actually yeah. it's trying to it's i think it's a job of exhibitors to try and position themselves in a way that enables distributors to see them as a viable marketing tool or option okay if that makes sense i think it does makes a lot of sense um i mean it reminds me of a film called uh, the great debaters which i think came out uh, a few years ago I'm going to try and find um, the year of it which actually starred um, Denzel Washington and Forrest Whitaker which was uh, loosely based on a true story right. and uh, that film it was another Here Today Gone Tomorrow film that nobody really saw at the cinema mm. but if you knew about it on a grapevine or if you saw the pirate videos you could get access to it and i think it kind of just went under the radar and straight sure. to dvd but it did have a very very short run at the cinema and um it's actually quite a a very good film uh about um yeah it's a drama based on true story but melvin b tolson professor at wiley college in 1935 inspiring his students uh to be the school's first debate team and which went on to challenge the harvard in the uh, national championship and I was thinking, like, 
if you see a film which has got Denzel Washington and, and Forrest, in fact, either Denzel Washington or Forrest Whitaker, you think like that's going to have a lot of mm. um, cinematic and marketing weight behind it. So why are films like this still falling on its knees and flying under the radar? So it's a multitude of things. It could be, like, like I said, you know, if it does well in the States or if it doesn't do well in the States, then the marketing mm. budget just gets completely you know, ev evaporated and okay. you know they just release it or you know it might have screen tested if it's getting the dual release with the US and the UK and it, it doesn't do where it doesn't do very well so it might not do well with Denzel fans or Forest fans for, you know, sure. if we're using this example um, another reason is that it might not be very good yeah. um, and then there might be an embargo around it so critics can't write about it until the day it comes out obviously it affects the, the, the box office if there's a number of films that are competing with it so there are a few areas where the film might fall down at any point the film might fall down it might look like a dead cert mm. um at the sort of script level but then as the film gets made you yeah. know there's rumors that comes out that it's not very good or it's not yeah. testing very well they've done reshoots and you know then yeah it's it's a lottery for whether these films you know do okay. well or not and are there any good examples of films that are like overcoming this these distribution obstacles at the moment so I think Sorry to Bother You is actually a very good example. So um, it did, I think it overperformed um, in America. Um, yeah. I don't think they were, they were quite expecting the performance um, of the box office that they got. And I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. But 17.5 million gross there we in go. the States. There we go, 17.5 million, which is amazing for a film that I think was made for a little over a million. Um, so it's incredible. Um, what was quite interesting, though, is when Boots was trying to find an international distributor for um, for the film, he resorted to Twitter to sort of go out and say, look, you know, Boots these... Riley. Yeah, Boots Riley. He went on there and he was like, these guys are telling me this film's not going to work over here. Like, you know, where are all the, where are all the international distributors at? Yeah. And you had people like the BFI, you had Universal, you had Fox, all these people trying to bid for him on Twitter. So yeah. it actually worked in terms of getting that getting that getting the um the, the word out there about the um the film because it proved it what well, it, it just it added another story you know who is this filmmaker you know sort of asking for distribution on twitter on social media yeah. and then you know how um how the distributor rolled that out was you know via bus you know on, on train stations on buses on yeah. you know they, it was a proper rollout so it, it, it did yeah, get I, a, I remember seeing it on buses myself yeah it actually. got a really good roll of the dice I'm, yeah. I'm, I have to I have to I don't know if you've got any stats about how it did in the UK but I think it we'll I just check that yeah. yeah international gross was 375,000 which right. is it's not bad not bad yeah it's not, not bad. bad yeah how, what are the numbers again on the international gross 375,000 yeah Pounds. Okay, cool, yeah, cool. Pounds. I mean, the thing is um, about Sorry to Bother You is uh, we did a review of it mm. uh, in our trailer talk uh, last year. And I think it was a thing where um, even Akosh pulled us up about it, that it was a film that had been released, but mm. I think it was like Sundance Film Festival yeah. released. And then there was like a big window where it's like, okay, what's going to happen next? And um, we were review. We were able to review it before it got a distributor. It sure. seemed so. We were trying to explain. Well, I was trying to explain to uh, White Falcons, like, yeah, maybe they haven't got an international distributor, so it's, mm. it's going to be predominantly screened in America yeah. until further notice. Yeah. But I felt that. I mean, 
I mean, maybe it's like I'm getting starstruck, but I'm looking at the, the names and I'm thinking mm. you've got Lakeith Stanfield from Atlanta. Yeah. You've got, um, I think it was Tessa Thompson, who's That's right, yeah. at, the, at this point had been in, I think, Series 1 of Westworld and Series 2. You've got Terry Crews, who's been in a multitude of uh, films as well as a successful run in the um, TV series. Um, Everybody Hates Chris. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, it's just a shoe in mm. that people would want to watch this because people should mm. be familiar with at least three or four of the cast members from film and TV. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to be enough anymore. Mm. So does this mean that the market's oversaturated or...? Can or? do. I mean, it really does depend on when the film drops. I mean, I can't... I think it came out in December, didn't it? So... Yeah. Not in the kind of the Black History Film Month way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, I think... Um, London Film Festival showed a few screenings. Um, December can be a bit of a slow month, can be normally filled with Christmas films. If, you know, you, it's it's definitely going to trend, um, the story to both of you, it's definitely going to trend amongst the most, um, the, the more older black, black audiences who you'd expect might have children. So the sure. one time they're going to cinema, yeah. maybe they're going to go and see the Lego movie or something like that with their kids as opposed to see something as sort of bold and adventurous sure. as Sorry to Bother You. And that's yeah. probably another reason why it 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 might not have done as well as expected yeah. because it is a pretty challenging film and there was very little information on, um, about the synopsis about the film. So, yeah, you know, okay. yeah. Um, well, just before we wrap up, because sure. it, there's been so much time to talk about and so little time to talk about it in, um, could you tell us, as the man on the inside, <laughs> so to speak, what <laughs> films really should we be thinking about yeah. in um, 2019 or yeah. what should we be preparing ourselves for? Okay. This year. Uh, oh, that's a good question. So I think um, Will Smith, Blue Face aside, yeah. um, has got a film out with Ang, Ang Lee. <laughs> You're talking about Aladdin, aren't I'm you? I'm talking about yeah, Aladdin, yeah, which yeah. looks horrible. I don't know why they're remaking it. It's the CGI it. thing, but it's, it's got Guy Ritchie uh, directing oh, yeah. it, hasn't it? I mean, how Guy Ritchie continually gets work People is People got is to pay amazing. the mortgage. I know, Guy well, Ritchie's yeah. got a couple of good films in him. He's got one good film. So Snatch, which Snatch is... Snatch? Snatch is yeah, that will outlive. Lock Stock was good, and Not I would say I would say he did a good effort uh, um, reinvigorating Sherlock Holmes. But I'm sure. Okay, yeah, I'll give um, you that. I'll give Cody might disagree with me. I'll give you that. Um, so yeah, um, so Will Smith's got a film out of Ang Lee. Um, I think it's a he's a hitman where he can't remember things. I think that sounds relatively interesting. That sounds like every hitman film that's yeah. ever come out. <laughs> that sounds like um, the Bourne the, the Identity, Bourne doesn't identity. it? Yeah. Yeah. Let, let Sorry, um, Anthony, yeah. at this point, can I interject with a very quick question? Um, what was your opinion of um, one of the films that sparked the Oscars So White thing, which was Concussion mm. with Will Smith? Should he have been recognised for that? No, that was that was one of his worst films. And, he, you know, to be fair... Is that he, because of the accent or because well, of the content? <sighs> It just wasn't a very good film. I, I yeah. just don't. I don't think anyone was really. I don't think anyone could be really proud of their work in that film. Yeah. Uh, the accent was bad. It was almost um, like I think his wife was proud of his well, work. Well, his, in that his film. wife was very proud of this film. Um, I, I think th his solicitor and accountant was proud of yeah, that film as well. He needs a hit. He definitely needs a hit at the moment. Um, he, he's trying because he's got Bad Boys for Life coming out, and apparently yeah. he's been commissioned to do Bright Two on Netflix. Yeah, and I'm, he's obviously in Suicide Squad, maybe in a Deadshot standalone movie oh, or, or the yeah. Suicide Squad repeat. Yeah. And, but the film I think you're trying to talk about is Gemini Man. Gemini Man. There we yeah. go. Yep, yep. I forgot the name of it, but I think that's that's looking quite exciting. I've seen him throw some pictures on Instagram about that. But the thing right. is, 
Isn't Ang Lee the same director who directed the Hulk and stole the CGI properties off Eric Banner so he could actually walk around in the Hulk suit instead of the actor? <laughs> I did hear about this, yeah. Yeah. He is that guy. So he is that guy. I'll, I'll be interested to see how this comes off because, yeah. I mean, I love Will Smith as an actor and mm. as a human being, but there's some filmmaking choices that haven't worked out for him. Yeah. For example, choosing to do Wild Wild West instead of The Matrix. Yeah. And... Um, Basically. That's crazy. That actually makes me like him that, more. That yes. story. Uh, that story. I mean, it is. It's gonna, always going to be forever legendary. Right. And um, Wiki Wild Wild. huh? Wiki Wiki Wild Wild. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I think. Um, uh, what was it? There was another bad film that he did a little while ago. I have to go back. I mean, to there's quite. There's quite a few. There's, um, yeah. I, I'm. I was trying to remember the other day how, the last time he made a good film, and it really. It really. I did. To be fair, I did well, it quite wasn't like Suicide right. Squad. It that's was for sure. yeah, Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad wasn't a good choice. Yeah. I think Focus was another one where he kind oh, of went that, left the field. Yeah, that was and bad. After Earth with his son wasn't the greatest sci-fi film that it could have been. But um, I'm actually the last film I liked him in was actually Hancock. I think. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan yeah? of that. Yeah, okay, okay. I'd have to really cast my mind back to think of a Will Smith film that Pursuit I. Pursuit of Happiness, two thousand and six. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. How about yourself, Don? Um, let's go with Pursuit of Happiness because okay. yeah. I like cool. that. And I mean, that was thirteen years ago. I mean, I, I, that's a pretty yeah. I mean, he does make a cameo streak. in Anchorman Two: The Legend Continues, he does. but it's he such does. a minor thing; it's probably not worth mentioning. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then in terms of so we've. You've mentioned the film Gemini Man. We should yeah. really keep a lookout for that as film fans. Yeah. As filmmakers, what mm. should we be thinking about doing better in terms of distribution? Not just for mm. black filmmakers, probably just for all filmmakers. I think filmmakers really have to have a vision not only of how their film um, sits with audiences, but how do they want their film to show up yeah. and being very laser-focused and being very direct about... Um, how distributors promote their film. Um, I'm actually having a conversation with a director and a mm. film, which I can't mention. Um, but I've never heard such laser, laser focus from a director who says, okay, this film is for these people and mm. I'm going to promote it this way. And I'm going to use this, this and this in order to promote it and engage mm. our audiences. And I want a distributor to help me do that. So, so there's got to be more yeah. man management understanding the and business side of it yeah. from the director yeah. when it comes to distribution as yeah. opposed to I've made this film just yeah. let me hand it off to somebody so yeah, I can make exactly. my next film yeah yeah okay. there needs to be much more and there probably is I don't want to teach anyone how to suck eggs but I think yeah. there is definitely a business side that yeah. um, filmmakers really need to embrace in order to in order for their art to really flourish and be seen by the people it's designed to be seen by and perhaps like understand how the other side of the industry works once I, the cameras. Yeah, I, I think they've, off. yeah, I think they've got a very good understanding of it. It's just a case of do they need to be more involved in that oh, okay. in in that sort of sellable aspect of their film. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for coming back thank on you. our series. Appreciate, really it. appreciate that. Um, thank you for being part of our, our podcast project. We would really like to get you on another episode because I feel that there's so much more we could be talking <laughs> about because you seem to be like a fountain of knowledge, and I think we'd really like to bring you back on another time uh for uh the uh probably talk about black british actors yeah that abroad and how they fed as well sounds good but um yeah thank you and uh, do you want to give you. another shout out to uh, we are parable what, what, yeah uh, do you want instagram or we're twitter? on instagram and twitter and facebook and all the other good social media uh networks you know and love um so we you can find us um on our handle which is we are parable um and you can have a look at our website and join our mailing list on weareparable.com.
Cool. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. Really had to have to have you. Quick round of applause. So um, this is the time to close up the episode. Before and, we do, uh, I've just been to imdb.com and okay. I can confirm that yeah. The Pursuit of Happiness was Will Smith's last good film. Hey. <laughs> okay, I'm sure Will Smith... Do you know the next one he did? What's, what's that? Um, third, seven, pounds. seven Pounds. I Am Legend. I Am Legend. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people died in that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, not just the acting as well. Um, <laughs> so what I'd like to say is thanks to our presenter, Kingdom. Thank you. Goodbye. And our co-host, Cody. Goodbye. And our sound engineer, Neo Geo. Bye. You will listen to Geek Sweat. These are our end credits, so we invite you to subscribe as well. Geek Sweat is available on CastBox, an app you can now download. It's the orange one with the white dots in the middle. And it's an app that you can listen to us. And it's the one-stop shop where you can support our podcast and many others for your entertainment needs. You can also generate an interview question with us or be a guest or simply become a sponsor by emailing film at instigateonline.com. Uh, we'll have more in store, so feel free to rate us via the CastBox app and review us inside this platform. This podcast thrives on listeners, so thank you for sharing your ears to show you we care. We, we watch, watch films to save you hassle. hassle.